Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, a semi-friendly discussion between two blokes on watches, cars, and everything in between. Now, here are your hosts, Tommy and Sanjeev. Welcome to the Land Jam Podcast, episode 40. Tag, you're it. Ooh, so I, I think this is one of the few episodes where we're actually talking about Tag Heuer. Um, you know, uh, for whatever reason, a brand that doesn't get too much attention or love from watch weirdos, uh, but we're doing it this time, right, Sanj? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a hit or miss with Tag. I know, I know, like, one of your main complaints with Tag is generally their, like, their case size. It's usually ginormous. Yeah, I, I have a friend from work who had uh, who has the new newer Carrera, one of the newer Carreras, and it, it's like it, you know, it's worse than your Fortis. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, so, oh, <laughs> it's it's just unwearable for me. You know, so what what do I do with it? Uh, you know, I, I don't know why they keep doing that. Um, well, my Fortis but... is forty forty two mils. I mean, I don't know why you were hating on it. I'm not hating on it, Sanj. I, you we do this every. We, <laughs> <laughs> we have to do this every episode. We have to stick on theme, right? I can't help that. But we're not yeah. talking Fords today. We're talking. We're gonna stick on schedule, on target. On target, which is very I, rare. This <laughs> <laughs> is Tag Heuer, and obviously, we're talking of the 60, 60th anniversary release of the Octavia line. Yes, um, and it's uh, one of their oldest lines, believe it or not. Um, so. The Otavia goes back to an era when, uh, you know, 60 years ago when Jack Hoyer took over the company when it was under the Hoyer uh, moniker. And yeah. um, one of his first releases was uh, a Kornogoff, uh, deemed the Otavia line. So back in 2017, under the, in the, under, under the Tag Hoyer brand now, um, Tag did a limited release of the Atavia. They brought it back as a limited, and you know and that was the recall, one where they had the 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 contest and people voted on the Atavia they wanted back. Is that right? Yeah, it was like a survey. Like you, you know, they showed like historical Atavias, if I'm not mistaken, and you picked which one looked cool. Um, yeah. And and they ended up re, re recreating one of the, the winner, and it actually it was it was very nice representation of what the Atavia was. You know, brought back that charm. Which the yeah. Otavia was known for, you know, which is very tooltastic. It's called like the Otavia Cup, if I'm not mistaken. That whole process, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in 2019, Tag. Then Hoyer, what did they do? <laughs> yeah, they did pull the 180, and they brought back the Otavia with this new aesthetic, and and it was completely different to what it used to be. And their initial line was like these three-handed watches that look more like pilot watches instead of like racing chronographs. Yeah. And we we review this. We talked about this when it was you know the right after the time of release and what, and and we kind of panned it. Like it, we did not like this representation. Yeah, don't don't understand why it was labeled Otavia. Really confused why they did that. It was very much like um, you know the Ford Mustang SUV. I, I really don't understand why. Yeah, I mean, the Mustang is a sports car or, you know, is, is a sedan. It's not an SUV. It, it, it just seems forced. And it's just like the same thing with the Altavia. And like, you know, the, the three-hand watches, I don't, I don't hate it. You know, it, they're fine for what they are. Just don't call them an Altavia. I, I think that's I think, fair. Yeah, right? I think you, you, you're completely right in that sense. Because that was the exact same conversation we had when we reviewed this and looked at it. It was like, call it something else and not the Altavia. You know, it's sacrilege yeah. in a sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just kind of weakens your own brand. Um, you know, I, even if you're propping it up for a line, you know, I, I think it was short-sighted and kind of a mistake. But, um, you know, here they are again. So <laughs> Here they are, but, you know, I think they're making amends. Um, so for the 60th anniversary, they're bringing back with three new watches. Um, two of them are chronographs with, with actually a flyback uh, function or complication. Ooh. Okay. And the other one is a GMT. But I think the one you and I would be most interested in are the chronographs. Yes. Ah, so without, there's two styles. Yeah. Yeah. One's in, in a DLC black with a black dial and bezel and case. And one in stainless steel with like like a gray panda dial. Um, 
Got so it. I'm gonna you know start first talk about the a little bit of the the watch itself in general. So it is generally a little bit smaller than let's say their Carrera lineup, which is now like 42 millimeters. Yeah. In case size but it is on the thick side you know because it's housing the chronograph and that to the flyback complication so it is like 15.7 mils thick so it's a bit of a chunky watch yeah um so you have the tag holder at the 12 o'clock you know a bit more in a monochromatic scheme and then also you have the atavia automatic chronometer flyback but I, I, I want to start off, you know, first talking about the, the numerals. Does it ring a bell to some of Tag Heuer's previous iterations of watches of chronographs? So if you scroll down, what do you think it's 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 hearkening to from a numeral style? The So that article we're referring to is from Hidinki, which Yeah. Great. And and it looks like the numerals it looks like very similar to that of the Hoyer Bund watch. Ah, I see that. I, especially in the black. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. yeah so that. that that's kind of a cool, you know, uh, I won't say a throwback, but you know, a cool like uh, design that they pulled off. Because I really like the, the numeral design. Uh, that that works really well with the Hoyer Bund. Yeah, um, I, I mean, they mentioned that it's the fifteen fifty SG three H bund um, that they, you know Hodinky thinks is similar to the flyback chrono, but that bund had a had a steel case. I mean it wasn't black, you know, just right. like the Otavia that they're comparing to. Um, I, I kinda wish they, they did that again. I think that would be a real blockbuster watch if Tag Heuer just, you know, did a straight up bund recreation without, you know, hinting at it. Um, but yeah, I could see that. I can see the resemblance a little bit. Yeah, and there's some other unique features, you know, with this flyback chronograph. For example, the pushers. They, it very looks like that of, you know, maybe classic uh, stopwatches, you know, even from the yes. Hoyer era, uh, which is yeah. kind of nice to see. The pusher um, heads, you know. They, yes, they exactly. Look very much like a stopwatch on the side. Yeah. Yeah, like a flat top pusher head. Um, and, you know, it's. It's well specced too. Uh, I believe it's you know the the bezel is a ceramic insert, and the movement is an iteration called the Hoyer Two, with yeah. Cosk certification and flyback. So, it's a pretty well put together watch. The other one, which I think is more attractive, is actually the the, the Panda, the Gray Panda. Yeah, with the stainless steel. Um, so it, it it's got like a nice play with the black and the gray. Um, That's a very with, Hoyer, you know, classic look, you know. Um, yeah. It's very attractive, yeah. And and the numerals in both this and, and the the black one are applied markers, so which it gives a little bit of a depth. Yeah. And the other unique bit to this particular stainless steel version is the 6 o'clock uh, sub-dial, where it actually looks like it's in white. So... Interesting. Okay, so there is a third subdial. It's very surreptitiously snuck in there because it's not actually black. So you know, it's it's uh, keeping that double panda look. But uh, interesting. I, I like that they did that. It it shows some thought into into kind of what you know they wanted to present out there. Yeah, and um, even like the the the, dial, the date window, right? If you go back to the black uh, dial, the full black watch, it's um it's a black date. Uh, window with a white numeral yeah and that's completely stealth you wouldn't have I, exactly. I, didn't, I didn't even notice it at all until you just mentioned it because it's hidden in that sub dial so well yeah so i i think this is a well put together and and in my opinion what the Atav they should have released first in the re-release of the atavia line back in 2017 like in this aesthetic chronograph yeah yeah no i i, I agree i agree with that i agree with that Okay, I think both of these are, are, are very attractive. I don't think you can go wrong with either. Um, there is the third one, which I haven't talked about, which is the GMT. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. Ah, yes. Go on, Sanj. Yes. Yeah, so let's just Tell me about it. it. Technically, uh, it's not a three-hander, so you know, we, we, should, we should take a fresh look. Yeah. But the interesting thing is this is the first Atavia that has a GMT complication, so, yeah. apparently. So I don't think even uh, vintage Otavias don't. I don't think they ever had a. And it, they it stated in an article too. It, it it doesn't even have uh, GMT. So 
this is more going back to the original like 2019 release of a pilot's watch where it's a bit more aviation oriented it is yeah. a nice looking watch so it's a blue dial um with the arabic numerals with the date window it's a six o'clock the gmt yeah. hand is in this like yellow orange um uh, colorway and then you have yeah. you know the blue and the black bezel black on the top and blue at the bottom so to indicate you know if you want to use the gmt to indicate night and day it's so subtle like it's not like a stark like uh blue and black it's like kind of blends in um yeah interesting i i, I didn't even realize it was blue and black i i just thought it was just the the light and the photograph um right. interesting okay so the case size is the same but the um the, it's a little bit thinner because the complication is quote unquote you know it's a little bit simpler it's a, it's not a chronograph function so it's about 13.7 millimeters um, the movement is also cost certified, but it's not like a Hoyer branded or Hoyer in-house caliber. It's a Salida SW300 based movement, but tuned to cost certification. Okay. So I think, for, you know, this should lay to rest whether Salida is good or not. I mean, Hoyer, Tag Hoyer themselves are using it. So this is... Yeah, yeah. There's nothing kind of, wrong you know, with it. I, yeah. I, it's is... just because I want to bring it up is because Tag Hoyer does their own movements as well, right? So... I'm sure Taghoyer is is probably made some modifications to their to their requirements, but it's not like say their in house or whatever they want to call it. Um, How much is that GMT, by the way? It's forty two hundred dollars retail. Wow. Okay. So I don't know. Do you, do you think that's appropriate considering the movements of a Salita SW three hundred in there? Like, do you think that's too much? I'm just gonna I, I don't put know. it in a different light. Now, to me, you know, the movement, yeah, it might be an issue, but it's not that much of a priority. The the price, $4,200, you know, you can get a Tudor Black Bay GMT for the same price. Mm -hmm. And that is everything in-house. And probably has a higher, bigger power reserve. I think those Black Bay GMTs go for 70-hour power reserves, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I, I, you know, my preference would be for the Tudor in, in that in that imaginary matchup. You know, I I just love that uh, Heritage GMT, that Pepsi. So, um, yeah. You know, I, I I think the you know the as far as the three hundred Octavius go, I think a GMT is interesting as far as an offering is concerned. Um, you know, I it's something different. At least it's more than just a three hander. But you know, I. I I, th- I feel like Octavia should be a chronograph line. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, am I crazy here? It's like <laughs> actually, what would be really cool yeah. is if they added the GMT functionality to the chronograph. That would be, I mean, that would be something. You know, that would also probably be like two feet thick on your wrist. But you know, <laughs> but it's been done before, right? I mean, it'll be thick. Yeah. I understand, but yeah. it's been done. Yeah. I mean, not not necessarily on the Octavia line, but other watches per se. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think that's a good idea. I think that's something they probably should consider. I also think they should probably slowly kill off the three-handers. But, uh, you know, that's just so me. the one downside, and, and I believe that's still the case, is the one advantage the GMTA version has is it's got a steel bracelet. The chronographs, I believe, only come with a leather strap. But not to say that it's you know a bad thing, but I think a bracelet would go better with this watch. That's bizarre to me. I find that to be a strange choice because you would think you'd want to step forward with the fly flyback chronograph. Like that's the headline, you know, in this right. line. I to only offer the leather and not a bracelet on that is very strange. Um, yeah, the strap. I mean, the leather looks nice, you know. I, yeah, I mean, it looks but... nice, and and they like got this proprietary quick disconnect. Um, so it's not you don't have to like use a tool to. to dis- what is that? The, the little prongs in the back, or you you kind of pinch and they come out. Uh, I think it's it's got like a lever system that that pulls it out. I see. Uh, but I mean, yeah. it, it's, so going back to the chronographs, they they go for about sixty three hundred bucks. Yeah, I mean, what what do you think on that? <laughs> so sixty three hundred for actually the, the the gray panda, or and sixty nine fifty for the DLC. I'm saying I would pick the gray panda. Um, yeah, same here. Same here. I, I think I th- that looks good. I, I don't think it looks enough of a bond for me to pick the DLC. Yeah. 
But yeah. okay, so again, price is all relative, right? Yes, sixty three hundred. But you're getting a flyback chronograph. I mean, will you yeah, ever use it? I mean, if you want to time two pizzas in the oven back to back, go for it. But yeah, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I think it's impressive. It's a flyback. Um, I think sixty three hundred. It's six thousand plus. Is it, it's definitely you know steep, and you you really need to be into into this brand and kind of this history to be you know on board with that um right but no i like i like the silver i like the panda i think i think that's executed really well i mean to be fair though i mean uh, on the defensive tag i mean do you know of another watch that has a flyback chronograph of 6300 like the first one that comes to my mind is um is a brigade type 20 or type 21 uh, those are about a couple of few grand more but i don't know of a watch in the market and and you know to listeners out there you know feel free to ch chime in but the sixty three hundred dollars for us you know well, let's just say a high-end swiss watch I, I can't think of another one um let me take that back i can't think of anything right now but i imagine there is something out there that we're not thinking of yeah, I, I mean, was thinking I'm, the I'm, Seduna Aviation Chronograph that came out a couple of years ago that we randomly covered. Actually, uh, one second, I'm I'm googling and going to give you a live answer right now. I think the Seduna is a flyback, okay, and that's about two thousand euros. Okay, so under the Hoyer. Right. Okay. But. Okay established players i'm not saying saying anything bad about seduna i'm just saying like omega oh wow the market. oh wow yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mr big shot all right yeah okay i i can't think of anything established right now that will but i mean Asuna, seduna for two thousand dollars it's an amazing deal yeah I, I i wasn't sure it's a flyback but according to this site it is uh i need to triple check that so don't send me hate mail uh i'm googling on the fly but um, i thought it was as well from memory so you know what? i'll uh, still send you hate mail no matter what but I mean, yeah i'm getting it I'm regardless at the watches yeah. now so don't I, I mean it's still attractive and the fact that it's you know a flyback that's impressive yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a recreation of the, I think it's a Valjoux-based um, movement, and it's a recreation of the uh, watches issued to Swedish pilots who were flying, I think, the Saab Viggen back during the Cold War. You know, I think they had like 200 or 300 of these watches, and, um, you know, basically they were service watches. They had, to be, they had to be, you know, given back to the service once the pilots were done. So they're extremely rare. So, you know, to, to have one of the originals in the wild is obviously very very attractive and uh, expensive, uh, but you know someone resurrected the brand and brought Seduna back. Um, so yeah, you know, interesting little tidbit. Um, yeah, I mean, great deal because well, I'm pretty sure they're going to be worth more than two thousand euro or two thousand dollars or so because according to the website, the flybacks are sold out. Interesting. Okay, so they just have regular chronographs now. I guess so. Interesting. Okay. Well. Uh, yeah, I'll have to think of that that answer to that question. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's impressive. It's impressive that Otavia is offering that for six grand ish. You know, I, you know, compared to I don't know the new Speedmaster line, what are you taking? Are you taking this or are you taking the Speedmaster? It the new movement three eight six one Speedmaster. What are you taking? Oh man. Uh, part of me really wants the Speedmaster because, there you know, it's go. the Speedmaster. Good boy. Good boy, Sanch. But feel, just out of spite. Like I'm spoon feeding you. <laughs> just out of spite. <laughs> because you, you, hork, have that win. you hork on my, my Fortis, I'm going for the tag. Oh, Screw wow. You, Tommy. That's right. You're, you're winning this one, Sanch. <laughs> Oh man, sad. Small, small victories for small men. All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Simple joke That's... for a simple man. You know. <laughs> That's tag. All right. So we we've we've done our one good bit. We've covered someone else. Uh, you know, for a change. But I think you know we got to go back to our roots right now, Sanch. Oh no, not we another can't... sick. We can... this is the third episode <laughs> we talk something about Seiko. Like maybe four in a row. When will it stop? It won't. It, it, it can never stop. 
So obviously, it will only stop if I get my my act together and 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 get my notes done on time and and contribute. You got to beat me before I can get a cycle on the on the list, right? So, yeah, that's what needs to happen. All right, what so, what are we covering here? Let's just get it done. We're covering somewhat of a controversial release, Sanj. This is a controversial so, discussion already. The, <laughs> so we, we're covering this King Seiko collection that came out. Um, you know, basically, I think a week plus ago. Um, for people who don't know, you know, King Seiko was an in-house, uh, basically, design bureau, uh, which was supposed to compete against Grand Seiko. So in the 1960s, Seiko maintained these two houses. They competed against each other. Uh, the Daini factory uh, had King Seiko. The Suba factory had Grand Seiko. And that's, that rivalry between these two factories played out against dive watches. They played out against dress watches. They played out against, you know, chronographs. They also played out in, in this, their kind of higher end um, kind of prestige watches, you know, Grand Seiko. Right. And, and, and correct me if I'm, yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. It's like, you know, I think it's to see how good Seiko's manufacturing capabilities are in terms of quality and high end uh, watchmaking. Yeah. which is how they started competing against each other, right? Because they wanted to prove to the Swiss, Swiss guys that, you know, they, they, they're just not here to just make, you know, uh, you know, factory, you know, like mass-produced watches. They, they can go and, and do and, and work on high-end finishing. And, and, and very precise movements as well, right? So, yes. um, you know, obviously in this rivalry between King Seiko and Grand Seiko, Grand Seiko won and King Seiko was eventually retired. The interesting thing is there's a lot of affection for King Seiko. Um, I think Seiko heads are kind of aware of this kind of history and this line that was kind of separate and killed off. Um, so at the end of 2020, Seiko actually revived uh, the King Seiko line um, in the SJE 083, which was a limited edition, um, opposed to an open-ended part of the collection. You know, it was, it was, it was a limited run. Um, you know, it was a bit pricier. It was more exclusive. It had a, it had a higher end movement. Um, the new King Seiko line um, basically is a permanent part of the collection. It's not a limited edition. It was modeled on the King Seiko 44-9990 from 1965 and a size of a 37 millimeters, um, height of 12 millimeters. So it, it's, it's sized appropriately. It's actually sized and I think period specific, you know, accurate. Um, it's got box, box sapphire crystal, and it comes in five different colors, right? You've got the charcoal gray, the brown, the burgundy red, silver dial, sunray brushing, uh, which is, you know, I think most accurate to the original King Seiko. And then the light gray straight brushing, which would be my pick. Um, and then it's got the King, King Seiko shield on the case back and the King Seiko logo on the crown. The controversial thing, right? And this is where the controversy starts, is the pricing. So the pricing for the King Seiko line is euro slash USD 1700. Now, you know, looking at it, you're like, okay, well, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's a prestige line. It, 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 it has, you know, really nice finishing, you know, why am I complaining? Uh, the complaints are the movement, you know, the movement um, has a 6R31 movement in it, which is the dateless version of the 6R35. Um, which is the common the movement. Used by six R thirty five is um, you know basically a a bigger power reserve than the six R fifteen, which is in my Marine Master two hundred. You know, so right. the Marine Master two hundred sells for a, a you know under under a thousand, you know around a thousand, less than a thousand, eight hundred bucks, whatever it is. And right now you're basically getting the same movement in the King Seiko for double the price. So that's when people, you know, kind of were a bit upset because it, the move, the movement's good, but you know, it, it needs to be, it needs to be tuned. You know, there is a there is a level of error in it um, to pay, you know, basically that much money for uh, a six R three five movement um, is, you know, I think people thought that was a, that was a bit too much. I, even there's a, there's a website called watchbullion.com and they've got a comparison between the 6R15 and 6R35 and they go through, you know, down through all the specs and they actually give you a watch price point where you'd expect to see each, right? So the 6R15, they're saying that's in a $300 to $600 you know, price point. And the 6R35 is $750 plus. And right now Seiko is charging $1,700 for that. 
So, um, you know, a lot of people are a bit upset. You know, they feel like they're, they're being, you know, this should be in maybe like a sumo or something. Uh, you know, not, you know, into their King Seiko line. They would have expected something a little bit more accurate and higher end. Um, so that, that's kind of where the controversy is. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on this, Sanj? I mean, I know we've talked about, we just talked about the Salida and whether, you know, you're, you're overpaying considering, you know, with Tag Heuer, the GMT, because in the end of the day, you're getting a Salida. And I think we're both comfortable with that. You know, I think we're both comfortable with Salida. Um, but, you know, here, I think Seiko kind of made a conscious decision to give you a lower spec movement. And for that price point, do you think that's inappropriate? This watch is mainly for the Seiko aficionado like you, Tommy. I mean, I, I mean, visually, I'll, I'll just say off the bat, forget the movement. It's really attractive. I mean, I, I, I think it's like to me, this is a bit complete letdown in the sense that oh, wow, <laughs> it's like no different from any other like, you know, a more affordable Seiko, you know, one of the more dress watches, whether it's from like their um, presage line. Yeah, the presage line. I mean, it's the, the I mean, arrows. I mean, the, the yeah, what they, they call those the arrow hands or what did they call them? The sword hands? It's classic Seiko sharp triangular. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that, mis that kind of misses the point, right? I mean, they're all supposed to be kind of similar looking because they all follow the grammar of design, the Taro Tanaka school of design, right? So like even, you know, even between the Grand Seiko, King Seiko rivalry back in the day, the watch design was relatively consistent because they both followed kind of similar rules on how the hand should look, how the indices should look. No, I, I, I think so, it's... I think yeah. as a design, it's attractive, but it's it's no different from like the other, you know, Passage line or whatever other Seikos that you can find for a much more affordable price point. Like to me, this is nothing extraordinary that makes it a King, King Seiko other than the fact it's got King Seiko st stamped on it. Like it's, I, I'll give Seiko credit for giving, you know, sticking to its roots and giving it a smaller case size of 37 millimeters. So, which I, I think. You know, who else would have done that? I, I think that was a very gutsy move on their part. And I, I, I think that's great. You know, that's probably one, one of the fav my favorite things of what they did here is keeping the sizing consistent. Um, Apart from that, there's nothing extraordinary about this watch. I guess yeah. you got to know, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't blame you for saying that, you know, would I get, would I get a King Seiko? Probably not because it's not really my thing, right? I mean, I, I'm more into the, the Seiko divers and Chronos. I'm not really too much into, you know, the the King Seiko Grand Seiko. Even if they priced it at a thousand dollars, yeah, okay, fine. You know, it's cool. It's just to me, it's just not, you know, standing out for me personally. It just doesn't do it for you. All right, no, if you had to pick one of the five, Sanj, color white colorways, what do you what do you got? What do you take? One of the five. Um, uh, good question. Um, that's gonna be tough, per se. Uh, this. They all look pick so... One. All right, I'll just pick the gray one. How predictable. All right, well, I picked the... Uh, I, picked, I picked that one, actually, the light gray straight brushing. Yeah, I mean, to me, I'll pick none of them. I'll see if I can find the, um, the vintage wow. version, because that, to me, looks more attractive. And I got to say, the vintage King Seiko, you know, you can get them on eBay for ver very good prices. And, you know, my understanding is they're, um, you know, not terribly difficult to service uh you know on the right hand so i you know i i would say if 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 you don't want to spend 1700 bucks on something with uh, with a movement that you know may, may not be up to spec you know save some money you know go get something for half the price and go service it and you'll still be out ahead and you'll have an original king seiko if, if you're into that um uh you know so that, that's where i'll leave it i mean i think it's very attractive um but i can see why people are upset I'm not upset at all. I just won't even look at it. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sanj, what what do you got? Okay, I know that was painful for you, so we're gonna go. We're gonna leave Seiko. We're gonna <laughs> leave Japanese watchmaking, and we're gonna go to Japanese watchmaking. Oh wow, here we go. <laughs> uh, we're gonna talk about Seiko's um, neighborly competitor, Citizen. And I'm going to yes. talk about a watch that is way more affordable and way more aesthetically pleasing. Wow. And, and just better in all regards. Maybe, wow. you know, 
maybe you may not be a fan of the movement, but um, I don't care, and it's a All good right. deal. Get to the point. What is it? All right, it's the Citizen Bullhead, um, the record label uh, Suno. So, okay. the one I'm referring to, I think this came out at the very end of 2021. Um, it, it kind of flew under the radar, but I think you and I caught it and just wanted to talk about it. Never had the chance. Yeah. Um, so, Citizens releasing, bringing back the Bullhead, Cornegrass, that of that from that of the 70s. Yeah, um, and it's a very uh, you know I would say it's a very authentic representation in terms of aesthetic. Um, it's it's very attractive, um, and, and it's got the seventies vintage appeal about it too. Um, so there are some notable differences from that and the original uh, vintage one. Uh, the key one is the the chronograph layout instead of uh, two subdials and uh, a fake subdial at the six o'clock which tells the day and date complication yeah. this yeah. is a three um subdial register and and the date windows move to the 4 30. so going back into the style it is a bullhead so a bullhead is it's just more of like a, a, a design of uh, a chronograph watch wristwatch where the pushers are on let's say the top of the watch where like between 1 12 sorry 11 12 and one o'clock yeah. um, so typically you have the stop start at, and the reset at the 11 and one o'clock and then you have the you know the pusher and not the pusher the crown at the 12 o'clock so it looks like a stopwatch yeah and um there is, the main release it comes in two flavors there's like a navy blue dial but the one that catches my eye is the panda and it's got uh inner chapter ring which is basically broken down into let's say every five minutes and it's got arrow hands that are in orange. Yeah. And it's a panda dial, so the registers are in black. The other unique characteristics are the bracelet. It's got this, like, um, I think it's the, the, the Seiko Jijaro. Okay. Yeah, you know that Jijaro alien watch? Oh, okay, gotcha. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So it's got, like, this band, and it's this... Um, rectangular um segments links yes yeah um so very cool um and and it's got a black bezel circling around the dial the one change from the vintage 70s to now is the movement and so they've gone from an automatic mechanical movement to a quartz and it's a citizen uh 0510 yeah uh, so it, unlike, you know, like the, um, let's say the Belova moonwatch that I have where like, say when you activate the chronograph, it's got a smooth second hand and even yeah. the chronograph hand, it, it's, it's a jumping seconds. It's a traditional quartz watch. Gotcha. So that, that can, you know, put off a lot of people, but one thing that is may bring them back. So it, is it, the it, price. It, it doesn't sweep. It, 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 it doesn't ticks. sweep at all. I, I believe it just ticks. Uh Okay. But uh, I mean to to bring you back is the price. It's 235 bucks. Yeah. That is does not sound like a positive yeah. That sounds like <laughs> Well, I think my bigger okay, you know, okay, fine. It ticks. It's also 45 millimeters. Uh, I don't think so. I think this yes. is actually 45 millimeters in diameter to the original 38 millimeters. 45 millimeters in diameter. No, 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 no. That is basically the um, the more limited edition. I believe that's called the Promaster Suno Chrono Racer, which was in 2018. Oh, one, I see. Okay. Yes, I believe this one is about um, 41 millimeters and 12 millimeters, millimeters thick. Okay, gotcha. Okay, so okay, that's much better. That's much better. Okay. There are some limited edition releases that are given out to Japanese retail stores, including um, a stealth black option, a black and gold version. Um, but I mean, the ones I'm talking about are the, are the, the normal, let's see, mainstream releases. So you've the got one... the panda, and there's also the green one. I don't think you've mentioned Yes, that I was going to talk about the green one. So the one we're referring to is from Blog to Watch. There is a green dial version. I think that's also a limited release because. What they're stating is that it the navy blue dial and the panda dial are mainstream or retail. Okay. So 
now that it's 41 millimeters, is that uh, a little bit more appealing? It sits better, but you know, what am I going to do with a ticking chronograph? You know, don't you have a Seiko Sarfarni? It that's like a full blown digital chronograph. That's true. That, it's not. It doesn't tick. I mean, I you know what you're getting with that. Uh, yeah. But the other uh, quartz chronograph I have is the new mark, and that's a sweeping. That's a mech quartz. So. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the Citizen Nighthawk that you have? That's been uh, donated away. That's a shame. <laughs> and that, that, was that a chronograph? No, that was just a GMT. Was that a GMT? I don't even know. Actually, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... I like that watch a lot. I actually gave it to my dad. So. Um, okay, fair enough. It stays in yeah. the family. Stays in the family. Um, yeah, I don't know. Ticking... Uh, chronograph it's just um 230 bucks you can't go wrong for a design of a watch i mean think about it let me not let for me. me yeah um do you recall this is many many years ago you and i were looking at citizen bullheads they were around 230 bucks now you can't find one for less than 500 i mean i don't what should they be <laughs> you know i i think that's fine i i you know pogues go for you're not going to find a decent Pogue for under 700, 800 bucks anyway. Like, I don't, I think that's fine. I think you should get one. I still think you should get a, a vintage bullhead, citizen bullhead. I think you should do one literally tonight because you've been talking about it for bloody 10 years now. And <laughs> I don't know what you're waiting for. It's only going to go up. I'm and just waiting for the decent crash, example. man. Get the hell out of here, man. Yeah. It, get one now. Okay. <laughs> It's not even <laughs> that much money. I feel like to happen. Yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, I'm past the bullhead phase. Um, to be honest with you, I... really, no longer into the bullhead. No, I mean, I'm, let's I'm, take, I'm a, let's take a minute here. What are you into right now, Sanch? We haven't had a frank watch conversation in a while. You know, we talk a lot about watches that we see and we review, but we don't actually talk about what you're into. Let's take a minute to see what you're into. What are you into right now? Actually, I wouldn't mind a Squally. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, any particular model, or are you just talking uh, about your bus? No, a little bit of A, a little bit of B. Um, maybe I think it's the Atmos 50 or the 1521. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's an attractive watch. Okay. Are you going to get the black one with the orange hand or the blue dial? I would like to get one with the like the Milanese, um, the blue and, or the black. Are, are, are you right are there. a little TGV? Let me tell you right now, he's a quality guy too. You love that guy. You love him. Listen, he's literally you in a different body. He talks nothing but <laughs> Seiko. All right, nothing but Seiko. He loves Seiko. I mean, I love Seiko yeah, yeah. too, but not yeah. like he he loves Seiko like Tommy loves Seiko. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's, he's it's... the gateway drug. <laughs> and nothing right. wrong in saying that, but the fact that you want to cover it in every episode is quite alarming. Guy, they, they have a release like every two weeks. We we need to cover it. What am I supposed to do here, Sanch? All right. This is what the people want. I give the people. No, this is want. what Tommy wants. I mean, Whatever. which is fine. Same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> you know, it should be. And forget the Land Jam podcast. It should be the Seiko Jam podcast. We we can do that, Sanch. <laughs> um, all right now, so citizen what do you are you what are your thoughts you're gonna get one you're you're pro this release is that i I, like the release. I think it's you know not everyone can afford you know tommy style purchases here you know hey you know what Sam? I, got a bonus. I got a bonus <laughs> time to buy a watch i'm like what is going on Amen. I think this Listen. is just the other end of the King Seiko spectrum. Like, you know, something more affordable, way more attractive, and something you can use every day and not worry about, you know, damage, you know, worrying about... You know what? Yeah. Salud. Hey, listen. If, you, if you're buying this instead of a Daniel Wellington or an Invicta, do it. Okay? It's a good watch, and it's got good pedigree. There you go. You know? Thank you. To hell with the naysayers. Enough of, enough of those people. Let's do it. All right? Okay. Um, but before we go further what are you into since you asked me what i'm interested in what are you interested in heart to heart frank conversation for the listeners out there 
you know, I've, so there's a, you know, without getting too personal, there's a milestone coming. I've got a green light from the missus to, you know, market with a watch if need be. Um, what am I into? So vintage, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I, I always love the Speedmaster Mark line. And we've talked about this for years and you're not crazy about it, but I am. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm always got an eye toward, you know, those, those 70s, 80s speed, weird Speedmasters. Um, if I were to go something more recent, uh, honestly, the Tudor Black Bay series, either the GMT or, or just a straight diver. Um, you know, okay, it's, so it's one of those, one, somewhere there I would land as well. So I would rubber stamp the Black Bay GMT. Now, if you're just thinking about a regular Black Bay, have you thought of the Pelagos instead? I don't mind the Pelagos. It's just not visually me. How about the Pelagos FXD, which we covered a couple of, uh, I think, last episode? Or the episode before that? Listen, via con Dios. If, if that makes you happy, you get it. It's just not for me. I, I, yes. like, I, like, I like the Black Bay, you know, 58, the 41. I like those vintage-inspired tutors. When we covered it, you were all jumping on it. You were like, "I like it. I like it. I, I don't like, mind Shut it. up and take my money. All right." <laughs> no, I, I like it. I, I thought it was very attractive. I mean, but you know, when push comes to shove, do I do I want one? You know, instead of something else, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not there yet. Okay, so beating you since I know you so well, um, it's either a toss up between the Black Bay GMT or a Speedy Mark. But which Mark? Are you looking at specifically uh, like a Mark 40? Okay, so I'm avoiding having this conversation online because I don't want every schmohawk to go and hunt one of these things down on eBay or Watch Recon, okay? Specifically, I wanted to yes. buy one and then tell people, hey, this is what I got. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because... And I will chat you later knowledge. what I'm into, all right? <laughs> <laughs> The last thing I need is some guy sitting on these marks and bidding me. All right. So, um, yeah. You're keeping this you. one to the chest. It is. I mean, I've always wanted to a Speedmaster Mark series. Um, you know, off, off the top of my head, you know, I, I do like the Cosmos, the Mark 40 Cosmos, um, the Mark 4, the Mark 4.5. Uh, you know, that's kind of where I focus. Um, I mean, I actually like those too. I mean, I, I have no issue with like the Mark 4, 4.5. Uh, era. Yeah. So I think so. A lot of people were kind of off, you know, were kind of put off by like the Mark IV and 4.5, but I think they still have its uh, attractiveness, you know. I think they're really pace. attractive. I'm, I'm yeah. really into that. And there's there's one uh, Mark 4.5, I believe. That's the, I forgot the reference number. It's a 176 something reference number, but it's it's more of like a a, a sharp angle case like it's not a cushion case oh and i've shown this to you question. and yes, you yes. don't like it but i really like it because it, it kind of reminds me of like those doxa 600 cases you know yeah those really square cases and I, and I really like them so that's one that i've also kept my eye on um i can't believe i'm telling this but i you know you know, for all the ten people, out there, for all the ten eBay. people who listen to the episode, <laughs> get on eBay, buy them all, buy them all. So boys. yeah, th that's kind of my that's kind of my focus. But um, yeah, and, so and I hope you get the mark whatever you want, uh, or even if it's the Black Bay GMT, get it. That's fine. It's just that. Uh... Yeah, it's just that the Tudor. Uh, you know, there's a premium for the retail and all, also the resale. So it's very difficult to get one in the price range that I am willing to kind of fork over for. Think That's about it. Problem. It's more affordable than the tag that we just covered. That doesn't say much. I wouldn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> if you're talking about the GMT, yeah, I wouldn't buy that GMT. Uh, you know, Again, buy a con Dios. If it makes you happy, you do it. But uh, I think that's just in general for anybody. You know, if you like a watch, and no matter who cares whatever others say, just just if you like it, get it. Get it. Yeah, you live once. You know, well, why aren't you? I don't know. You know, just find a buddy that you can hork on. You know, with the purchase uh, that they make. That's uh, you, buddy. <laughs> so that's you, and uh, and and vice versa. Yeah. All right. So last watch for today. Yeah, right. I we went totally went off off the 
the rails. Tangent, but that was a good tangent. That, that, it was now, a good now tangent. Now the listeners we know what we we're, we're into. Yeah, we said we were going to keep on, on track here, and we clearly did not do that. This is a quick one. So this is the Certina DS2. Uh, we've talked about the Certina DS. Uh, I think we've both been very constructive on it, uh, kind of fans of it. Uh, the DS2 is a, is a recent release. It's, it's a reissue of the DS2 from 1968. It's got the kind of turtle-style um, case design, um, you know, Powermatic 80, it's Swatch, you know, Swatch family all, you know, through and through 80, 80 hour power reserve. Um, comes in four different dial colors, black, silver, blue, brown, dark gray. Not a whole lot to say, you know, it's being sold for 860 euro uh, textile strap. I think it's a very attractive watch. I think it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. 200, 200 meter water resistance. It's a very attractive um, Seiko turtle. That's not a Seiko turtle. <laughs> This is way better alternative than the King Seiko that you just talked about. Well, you know, it's something different. Um, you know, if, if you want a turtle design or a cushion case design and you don't want to go Seiko for whatever reason, you know, check out the Certina DS2. I, I think it's uh, reasonable pricing. I'm sure, you know, the retail price, the 860 euro, uh, you know, you can get on the gray market or resale for, for much more, much less than that. Um, and I think it's, it's a different kind of attractive offering it's got an 80 hour power reserve so you know it's, it's got a good ticker in there uh what are your thoughts Sanj? I, I i dig it i think it's uh it's a very understated watch because it is you know it's got a power reserve of 80 hours which is really on the higher side um not many watches have that level of yeah. power reserve um and the other thing is it's 200 meters water resistant that's impressive too yeah yeah i mean you know we both like the DS original. Um, yeah. You know, so Certina is doing something right. Um, there's, I mean, it, it's nothing, not a whole lot to talk about. It's a, it's a good offering for a good price, you know, so go well, buy it all day. You know? Which one would you get? Uh, I would probably get the black. What would you get? I'll get the gray. And I'll tell you why. It, it works well with the, the date window. And um, yeah, that's mainly why. I think they're all attractive, but I just think the gray one to me is a bit more yeah. subtle. You know what? You know, you, you got my seal of approval, my friend. That's it. I never needed your seal of approval. Well, you earned it anyway, all right? So keep it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Very good. All right. That's, that's a good selection there. That's a good, that's yeah, a good little mix. Yeah, I mean the Certina as well, and it's got some unique uh, features. It's got like a the movement is encased in in some elastic shock absorber ring, so it's got some impact uh, resistant properties. So there it's you go. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, Sanch, what you buying? What do you got? All right, what you buying? So the one I'm gonna cover is from. Joma Shop, and in they're offering the Ball Fireman Storm Chaser DLC Glow Chronograph. Um, so this is a Value 7750 yeah. um, based chronograph. Um, it's in DLC black, and um, it's got uh, what should I call it? Uh, uh, a tachymeter uh, bezel. Yeah. And the cool thing is, like, you know, with a lot of ball watches, it's got the tritium tubes. Ooh, people love tritium tubes. Little little gas tubes. Yeah. Yes. So this thing glows like no tomorrow. I, I looked up other watches, I mean, other photos of the, of, of the glow, and it's yeah. really impressive. Um, it's actually a limited edition, so it's only 1,999 pieces. Wow. Um, hmm. And yeah, it's it's on sale for fourteen fifty, so a thousand four hundred fifty dollars. I I mean that's a great deal. I, you know, Ball's a great company. Um, you know, what what more can you say? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I obviously you know I would want to wear it to see kind of how it wears. You know, it's just difficult to tell size wise what's comfortable, but I, you know, visually it's very attractive. My only concern. You know, my only pet peeve with Ball, and I think I've told you this before, is those cursive R's on the other side of their their second hand. 
But that's their traditional. That's their traditional. I know. It just kind of, in a modern design, it just looks out of place to me. What are your thoughts on that? Does that bother you? Does that not bother you? Not so much. Actually, what actually, if to me, is, is, is the day and date complication. I wish they made that, you know, black background with white lettering. Oh, the classic. Yes, the, the classic complaint. And I agree with that complaint. Yes, I agree with you. But the rest of it, it actually reminds me of like some sort of Zen chronograph, to be honest with you, with the indices. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it's got a very stark uh, Germanic feel to it, you know, very, uh, very business. Um, I like it, you know, look at you know, the DLC case and all of that. It, it looks very tactical. Yes. Um, and it's got 66 micro ga- gas tubes. You love those gas tubes. It's uh, tritium, man. I mean, you can't go wrong. Can't You're go wrong. Radioactive on the wrist, you know? <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, yeah. What's actually cool is that I just noticed it is there's an inner chapter ring and it's got a telemeter um, information around the inner chapter ring. If you zoom in into the picture. Interesting. Okay. Gotcha. So it's got tachometer outside, telemeter inside. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. But for the price, you can't go wrong. I mean, that's a very attractive price. Yeah. I mean, it's more than half off. Right? Yeah. yeah. 3,700. Yeah. 14. 1450. Jeez. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, Shoma shop as always great markets, you know, uh, buyer beware, but I've always had good experiences with Joma shop. I know you have, uh, got nothing but good things to say. So actually they've got a bunch of sales for Valentine's day. So obviously, uh, you know, drop a hint to the missus, uh, if she owes you something, uh, otherwise just buy yourself a watch. Or if you get a nice bonus, like, you know, our dear friend, Tommy, uh, just drop it on us. <laughs> not, not, nothing's, hit, nothing's hit the account yet, my friend. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, you won't get much because it's all going to get taxed. It's a big goose egg. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on to streaming gold. Um, one streaming gold this time is a YouTube uh, video called Line Goes Up. The problem with NFTs, um, it's kind of gone viral. Um, it's by the Folding Ideas channel. And it's really a crash course into crypto uh, and, you know, eventually NFTs. It's like, a, I think, almost two hour long video. But if you wanted to learn anything from soup to nuts about how uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or, or any of these kind of crypto coins work and, uh, you know, the, all the way to the Board Ape Yacht Club, uh, this is a great video to watch. I highly recommend it. It's well-researched. It's well-argued. Um, a lot of guys in the crypto market um, have received this video and uh, are quite, you know, some of them are quite upset about it and are, are kind of railing at the guy for uh, making these arguments. But I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's more than an ounce of truth in the video. So uh, definitely go check it out. Line goes up. The problem with NFTs, uh, you know, I think it's interesting. Sounds good. Yeah, no, it's, 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 uh, I've seen bits and pieces and he goes really well in depth. It's a really two hour deep. long, but there's, you know, so much to talk about. So it's, it's more of a summary. Yeah. Than those I mean, he long. starts from the global financial crisis and the creation of Bitcoin. So it's a real crash course in all of it. Right. But if you're an old person like me in the traditional, you know, work in traditional fiat, you know, like a loser, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you need to kind of catch up on the world. Uh, you know, this is a good place to start. So, Are you um, saying you don't have a board eight panda? Um, what is it called? Board eight yacht club. <laughs> yacht club. You, you know, I I do think that the land jam needs to have its own line of crypt, of crypto and NFTs. So you know let's, what? Let's just NFT a logo. <laughs> uh, is there negative value for that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. How about this? You know. Um, Let's just, you know, every every episode um, title picture that we put up should be NFT'd. Sure. Hey, that's not a bad idea. Because we idea. only make it once and that's it. That's it. God knows we don't go back. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, definitely check it out. I'll put that as a show note link. Um, but it, it's great. It's called Line Goes Up. So I, I came across this and, and I don't know too much detail. So... 
Alpha Romeo, the automaker, um, they have released a, a smaller SUV called the Tonale, I think. Uh, okay. Just today or yesterday. But the, the, the one thing that they're doing is somehow using NFTs to track the service history of the car. I'm not sure how it all works, but it's, you know, it's using an NFT so that it's, you know, unique and uh, decentralized. I, I'm, I'm talking as if I know everything about this whole, this whole technology, but yeah, they're NFTing their uh, service history. So it's the first application of, of such. It's, yeah, so I, why sense... don't you, I mean, I have a solution for that and it requires a whole lot less energy and money and, and listen to the solution, right? It's very complicated. It's called an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> and you can list as much service history as you want on that spreadsheet. <laughs> but to me, that's um, more useful than a picture of an ape. I mean, it's all like, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't want to, I don't want to attack anyone here, but like, why does that need to be on a blockchain? Your service history of your car? I have no idea. What is that, you know? Is, is that something that's valuable information that, you know, you can't just keep on a spreadsheet somewhere or a database? Bear in mind, this is like a small SUV. It's not some million dollar hypercar. Yes, so. and it will stay small with these gimmicks. All right. So yeah. next. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to closing notes. Uh, it's actually Fratello Watches had a great... Um, kind of opinion piece and it's called crushed watch dreams investors and rising prices are spoiling the joy of watch collecting and it's him talking about uh you know he's got some younger guys working at fratello uh this is all of course uh robert jean Brewer, um and he's talking about the younger guys working at fratello and how you know you know when he was collecting watches or getting into it you know things like the explorer 2 the things like a speedmaster professional these were all kind of obtainable things that, you know, if you're in your 20s and, and, and you're getting into it, you can get into that hobby. And he's found that, you know, in recent times with investors and, and you know, your freaks basically driving up the price of everything, you know, things like Rolex are completely out of the question for the everyday collector. And, you know, even the Speedmaster, I think, you know, we, we were talking to our mutual friend Roy T the other day, Sanj, and we're talking about how, you know, what does a Speedmaster go for, Speedmaster professional on, on secondary market and i think since i got mine i think it's close to like almost double the price um to just get in um inflation is real i mean we're not even talking inflation this this is you know we're talking like five six years yeah i mean it it's it's insane there's just so much money going into anything collectible including watches but you know vintage cars it's all the same thing um that it's completely shutting out the the guys who are getting into it as an enthusiast who want yes. to try things out, who want to get in and, you know, who aren't, you know, some, some, I don't know, some freak on an Island who, you know, owns a multi-billion dollar, whatever, you know, uh, they're being shut out of something that, you know, was something that was accessible once. So it's an interesting opinion piece. I would recommend people reading it. Um, you know, obviously it's a problem in watch collecting. It's just, uh, you know, what can you do? This is the world we live in. Uh, you know, it's basically you either have to save up for something really special and be sure you want it, or, you know, you kind of diversify your tastes and you try micro brands and you, you know, you, you kind of dip your toes and see what you like and, you know, try to, try to back into your interest another way. Um, but it's not an easy time to be a watch collector. That's for sure. I mean, I agree. I mean, like the, the author references, like his personal um, AP. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, he says he got it in 2009 for 7,000 Euro. And today's market value is 70,000 Euro. It's, it's, it's a three hander with a date. I don't even think it's a three hander. It's insane. And the worst one are Patek Nautiluses. I mean, you know, it, it, at, at a certain point, it's, it's destructive to the community, right? Because, like, who's going to keep buying this? Like, I, you know, I, I, we railed about it for many years of, on how there's so much money going into watches. It's becoming something that is very, very exclusive to really 
rich guys and old guys. <laughs> like, you know, it's, 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 it's a hobby that's getting killed off because of the price, you know, and um, it's really unfortunate because it, it, it has wild, wide appeal, but uh, the barriers to entry are so high that I don't blame people for not getting into it because, you know, no one should, you know, have to choose between buying a car or a down payment on a house and getting it watched. Like, it's just, you know, it's nuts. And I, there's always going to be high end. And I understand that that's not for everybody. Like, okay, you know, the protect model, you know, that's fine. But like, you know, even things like a Speedmaster or, or a Rolex Explorer 2, you know, now it's just becoming more and more out of reach for people. And I think that's, it's obnoxious. I don't know. It's just really, it gets me upset. It, 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 it gets me upset. I'll just leave it there. You know, Tommy's getting upset. Tommy's not getting upset. Yeah, the the, the little uh, communist in me wants everybody to have a Rolex, right? So that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's true. Colors are revealed. Uh, that's right. Rolex is for everyone. Um, but you know, I I also think that's that's the that's the evolution of a brand, right? I mean, Rolex used to be an every person watch at a, at a, at, a, at once upon a time. They were giving it off to servicemen to fly. You know. In World War II, or go sailing in World War II, and that, that was how people got exposed to the brand. Um, and maybe you know, the next generation will be another brand that will kind of take that place and become more legendary, uh, you know, as a watch that's used and you know by by real people. So you know, there's a price for being that exclusive. You you become so exclusive, you you know, you're kind of irrelevant. So we'll see we'll see how that plays out over time. That's why I talk about, you know, watches like the uh, Bullhead release, uh, the Homage. Oh, you know? d- let it go. It's a quartz ticker, man. Let it go. <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm right. <laughs> All right. What do you got? What's your, what's your next closing? All right, Tommy. You're a dive watch kind of person. You talk nothing about Seiko dive watches 24-7, 365. Yeah. The article I'm going to talk about is from where you used to live. Um, it's in NYC, New York City. And how yep. they wanted to dump a thousand subway cars that are disused and and, and uh, retired into the Atlantic to create a reef. Yeah. Um, so the article that I talked about, you know, this on a, as a concept level, you know, taking these um, disused steel-bodied uh, cars and just dumping them, just get you know, creating a reef so that you can you know grow grow back corals and stuff. It, it didn't go well as planned because of rust and degradation and it goes into detail why you should just take more planning and more thought into um doing such a thing you know typically you know you hear about um using aircraft fuselages you know stripping them completely removing all the coatings and 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 um and then dumping them which has been successful you know you hear stories but certain things depending on how they built it for example like these uh steel cars you know the way they were welded you know where the weld was it, it kind of corroded and led to rust i see and the way the the design of the subway cars it had this corrugated effect so the water the, it, the way the the water was flowing around them also accelerated the process so they were literally disintegrating and and not helping the situation so mm, you know a lot of hope but uh, it, executed poorly interesting interesting read i'll have to check it out i'll check it out all right and the last uh story for today last closing note is our favorite auto company tesla it's your favorite auto company (laughs) not not mine uh so the headline is tesla now monitors how often you adjust your seat position and will disable controls when overused so the story is (laughs) The Tesla uh, electric lumbar seats are prone to breaking, okay? So some bean counter somewhere found out that, hey, these seats are prone to breaking and they, they cost X amount of money warranty-wise, you know, across the fleet, you know, where, the, where issues to arise. So instead of recalling the cars or, uh, you know, redesigning the seats or doing something proactive about it, uh, what they did was they left, they started an, uh, you know, over the air update to all the Tesla cars, uh, basically limiting you from adjusting your seat. Now it's not like, it's like, you know, two seconds of adjustment and you're locked out. I believe it's like 40 seconds or something like that. Um, so, you know, you really need to take some time adjusting your seat. Sorry. It's 90 seconds of use in five minutes. 
uh, will get a warning message and 120 seconds of use in five minutes will disable the motor, disable the motor. So, you know, if you spend two minutes working on your phone within five minutes, uh, sorry, working on your seat within five minutes, the motor will be disabled and locked in that position until, you know, you're let out again. Um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I don't know. Well, typically you, you should be able to get your seat adjusted within 60 seconds. I don't think you need 90 seconds, first of all. Um, but, um, I mean, seat controls have been, or, or electric seats have been in production for decades. So, I mean, since the 80s, even the 70s, maybe. And I'm wondering why they just can't... Uh, why can't Tesla figure this out? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. It shouldn't take you 120 seconds, but, you know, let's say you're an old fogey and your back is giving you trouble and you're not tech savvy and you're having trouble with the seats, whatever. You know, the idea that the car would lock you into position and, you know, basically give you a timeout, I think is dystopian. You know, that that is just bizarre um so yeah you know that that that's tesla um so the you know i'll, I'll put the article up it's on uh, drive tesla canada.ca um in their news uh news section so uh, yeah you know I, apparently people like these cars all right i'm trying to find a response to what you just said but i i can't <laughs> I mean, I think last time we talked about Toyota uh, charging extra for the remote start function. So, you know, this uh, this new iteration of the connected cars, um, I, yeah, I, I really don't know. You know, maybe it's best we all go back to analog, you know. I think we should make this a recurring theme in our in our episodes, you know. Really? Just just car companies trolling their own customers? I think we can yeah. do that. Yeah. Car trolling or connected car trolling. All right, let, let's do a new category, car trolling. That's going to be after closing notes. All right, we'll see. Oh, instead of contract. Yeah, exactly. You know, connected trolling. We'll just call it, you know, like control, you know. There is a great, um, if you're on Twitter, you know, there's a there's a great art um, account called Internet of Shit, um, basically making fun of the Internet of Things, uh, you know, with everything connected, your, your connected toaster, connected toilet, whatever, um, and just how, you know, Maybe may a bit dystopian and maybe going too far. Um, so definitely worth a follow if you're if you're on Twitter. But I think that's all we had for this episode. Sanj? Yeah, yeah. This is uh, also our 40th episode, so you know. 40 episodes. This is big. This uh, is big. I, I guess any episode ending with zero is a big deal. So yeah, this is big. Uh, again. Thanks for you know sticking with us, and I uh, hope you guys enjoy the ride. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We have uh, uh, an account there, Line Jam Pod, uh, on Twitter as well. Um, and then we'll we'll be we'll be back soon. All right, take care.